Have your Bibles turned to Mark, anywhere you want to in Mark, no, no, let's go to Mark chapter 12, right where we left off, amen? I'll tell you what, if Brother Randy get a little enthusiastic, he could sing, couldn't he, amen? Praise God, that's good. I'm glad that Sunday school fired him up, amen? For the glory of God, we ought to sing for the glory of God, we ought to be worshiping for the glory of God, and I thank the Lord for uh, this week, even though it's been a very hot and... Uh, exhausting week. I think I got dehydrated and so uh, I've been a little under the weather. 42 years I've never called in sick. I thought this was the first time. I thought this would be the first morning and I didn't know what Jason's going to preach on but I'm sure he'd have come up with something real quick. Amen. And uh, due to be at the uh, softball game yesterday I was going to play and have a designated runner. Uh, just hit the ball over the fence so I go run about baseball. I couldn't make it. But, you know, that's good visitation. There were some people there that never you can catch at home, and there were some people there that never come to church, so it's a good time to visit. Amen. So I hope you use that as visitation time. Amen. That means be friendly, be a good sport, and don't uh, strike out anybody. Amen. All right, let's go to the Word of God. Amen. Uh, Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27, a very unusual passage of Scripture about... Uh, a lady that had seven husbands and they wanted to trick Jesus and find out which husband would be hers, which one she'd choose. And uh, the Lord set them straight. This is another trap. This is another trap. This is about Wednesday, right before the crucifixion. It's Passion Week. He's headed to the cross of Calvary. And here's another sect of, of, uh, of uh, Jews called the Sadducees. If you want to remember their name, they're sad to see, amen, Sadducees. And um, they um, wanted to trick Jesus with a marriage question about heaven. And so I'm glad he answered it, and I'm glad that we have some answers about eternity. We don't know all about eternity. I'm telling you what, I have not seen nor, nor our hearts ever imagined how great heaven is. But the Bible has the description of heaven and has what heaven's going to be like. And we sure ain't going to be fighting over husbands and wives up there, I guarantee you that, amen, and picking teams. It's going to be one great time of joy and peace and love and laughter. I believe we'll laugh in heaven, amen. I believe some of y'all ought to practice it, just smile on purpose, amen. I don't believe we're going to be frowning. I don't believe we're going to be sitting there like wooden Indians looking at the preacher hoping he'll get finished by 12. It's only 1131. I'm so glad for that little clock that Joel puts up there. Uh, so I can time the song service because I sure ain't going to time my sermons, amen? But uh, we're, not, we're not worried about time. Some of y'all are because you're hungry. Uh, I was put up about 12, min uh, 12 minutes to 12, and the pastor introduced me and said, Brother Wayne Cofield's going to preach, and he's the only thing between us and lunch. Now, that's a good way to be introduced, amen? And so I preached for about 20 minutes, and everybody went to lunch. But anyway, it was a blessing, camp meeting. I hope you'll get the uh, chance to listen to, by Facebook to uh, Scott Polly's message on being filled with the Spirit of God and the preacher's identity. If that don't humble you, nothing will. I'm just glad that we got to take a lot of people up there Thursday morning. Uh, Brother Scott Polly's booked to be with us in 2022. Amen? That's the first time he's got an opening. So uh, we're praying for a cancellation, not really. All right, let's stand all the Word of God. Questions about eternity. Questions about eternity. Verse 18. 
Then come unto him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. Hmm. And they asked him, saying, Master, Moses wrote unto us, If a man's brother die, and leave his wife behind him, and leave no children, that his brother should take his wife, raise up seed unto his brother. That was a custom back then. Glad it's not now. Now there were seven brethren, uh, and the first took a wife, and died, left, him no, left no seed. And the second took her, and died, and left he any seed. And the third likewise, and then, and then the seven had her, and left no seed. And last of all, the woman died. Now you know why also. And in the resurrection, therefore, when they shall rise, whose wife shall be she be of them? For the seven had her to wife. And Jesus answered and said to him, them, Do ye not therefore err, because ye know not the Scriptures, neither the power of God? And when they, had, uh, and when they shall rise from the dead... They neither marry nor given in marriage, but are as angels which are in heaven. And as touching the dead, that they rise. Have you not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, present tense, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Ye therefore do greatly Air. Amen. You may be seated as I pray. Father, thank you that we can preach verse by verse without intimidation, without fear, knowing it's the Word of God. We don't have all the answers, but your Bible has the answers. And we thank you, dear God, for this clear rebuke of these Sadducees that was trying to trip our Lord up just days before he gave his life for them that they might go to heaven and they probably went to hell. Lord, thank you, dear God, that we are delivered from religion, that we have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and we know we're going to live in eternity in heaven. And God, thank you for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that guarantees our resurrection. So, Lord, if there's anyone that's not saved this morning, I pray this will be the greatest day of their life. And God, all of us, that God would not be so temporal-minded, so earthly-minded, that we'd be some heavenly good, and God, that we'd be eternal-minded. And Lord, thank you for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, uh, nearly every culture has had that exists to possess some type of belief in death, uh, life after death. A 19th century professor of Yale University named James Dwight Dana summed up this hope of abiding life when he said that he did not believe that God would create man and desert him in the grave. Amen. A quick overview of the history tells us that many people had some very unusual beliefs about death. The ancient Egyptian book of the dead full of tales of life after death. The tomb of Pharaoh, who died some 5,000 years ago, contained a solar boat that was designed to carry him through the heavens in eternity. Ancient Greeks were often buried with a coin in their mouths to pay their fare across the river Sphinx and to the land of the dead. Some Native Americans were buried with their bows, their arrows, and their ponies. Good night, poor ponies. I bet they were praying for long life for their owners, amen? And so they would be ready to hunt when they arrived at that happy hunting ground. 
The ancient Vikings uh, uh, believed uh, a place called Valhalla, where they believed they would fight all day, because they lived to fight. The dead would raise and be wounded, uh, healed every evening, and then they would feast and drink the night away and then go back fighting the next day. That was eternity for them. But the Muslims today, they look towards a version of heaven where every sensual, physical pleasure can be indulged throughout eternity. They do a whole lot of work. They get 70 virgins. Now, folks, that tells me there is an immoral foundation for the Muslims. And folks, I want to tell you something. We need to go by the Bible. Amen? Um, we don't go by the Quran. We don't go by Wayne Cofield's opinion. We go by the inerrant, inspired Word of God. Thank God for the Sunday school lesson. And folks, nearly all non-Christian cults that's trying to work their way to heaven, and that's so absurd that any sinner thinks they could get good enough to earn their sin debt back. Folks, it took the perfect one, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die in your place. No sinner can get good enough to save themselves. How absurd. But nearly all Christian cults and religions hold some view of life after death. The ancient Jews were no exception. They believed in life after death. The Talmud, uh, which contained the written and oral traditions, was filled with references about life after death. And when the Pharisees and the Rhodians couldn't trip Jesus up, here comes the Sadducees. And they had some questions, but they really didn't have any questions. They were just trying to low-rate, embarrass, and humiliate the Lord Jesus Christ by tricking Him with a puzzle that He couldn't solve. I'm going to tell you something. They ended up being the loser. Because I'm going to tell you something. You don't trick God, and you don't outsmart God. God is God. And folks, here's some questions that they ask. Will there be an afterlife? What will it be like? What will it be like when we get there? What is our relationship with one another in heaven? And the Lord answers it through this rebuke. First of all, I want you to see verse 18, the antagonists. It says, they come to him, the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection, and they asked him, saying. Now folks, the Sadducees, just to give you a little background, they were a minority sect among the Jews, and they were the most powerful and influential sect of the Jews that exists. They controlled the buying and the selling of the temple. And so now you know why they were so upset because the Lord the day before just cleaned house from the money changers and from all those that were selling these uh, sacrifices at, uh, at an inflated rate because they'd forgot their sacrifice, I guess. And they'd made the house of God a place of merchandise. Mark chapter 11, verse 12 through 19 describes it. And then the Sadducees were the priests, and they were the high priests. But also the Sadducees were uh, um, the majority of the Sanhedrin. They were the supreme Jewish Supreme Court. I talked to Brother um, uh, Cody the other day, and he was telling me he found a church, and that church prays on the steps of the Supreme Court every Saturday night. I said, hallelujah, that's good. I might go visit that place or at least that prayer meeting. If we've ever needed to pray on the, on the doorsteps of the Supreme Court, it's today, amen. Thank God 
for pro-life judges that's been appointed. Say amen. I want to tell you something. Georgia would be in a mess, and so would the United States of America be in a mess if we had liberals in there that didn't believe that life began at conception. You say you shouldn't be so political. No, I'm biblical. I'm biblical. I say what the Bible says about life. Come on, say amen. But these aristocratic, wealthy, uh, Sanhedrin, Sadducees, they thought they'd trick Jesus. They thought they'd mess him up. They were rude, they were harsh, they were insensitive towards the common people. Their theology was extreme, literalist, interpreted from the scriptures, but all they believed was in the Pentateuch, the book of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, which you learned this morning in Sunday school. And they denied the rest of it, and they denied the supernatural. And folks, I want to tell you something. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in hell. They didn't believe in heaven. But I want to tell you something, friend. Just because somebody doesn't believe in it, doesn't make it one less uh, of degrees in hell. It's still there. Jesus preached on it 13 times. It's mentioned in the Bible 87 times. I'm talking about hell. And so, folks, if we're not going to believe in hell, let's just, let's just uh, go join the JWs up here and say it's an extreme doctrine. No, it's not extreme doctrine. It's biblical. It's biblical. The extreme fundamental, there were extreme fundamentalists. I hate to call them fundamentalists. They believe literally the reading of the law of Moses and all about Moses, and that's all they believe. So you'll find out, that's why you'll find out Jesus goes back to Moses in a minute and rings their bell. Amen. Thank God for the Lord. Amen. And His wisdom. And today, and their, and their philosophy of life was this, eat, drink, and be merry. Does that sound like somebody? It sounds like modern man, don't it? If you'll read Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 34, you'll find out that uh, a lot of people are entertained by sin, and that's the last rung of de-evolution. We didn't evolve, we're de-evolving, say amen. And so folks, there's a lot of sad, sad you sees in this world today. They're sad because they don't see God. Amen. But there is a God, His Word, that's still the final authority. And there is a resurrection. And He is resurrected. And folks, I want to say this. Man will face God in judgment. And there will be no puzzles. There will no be tricking God. There is a hell. There is a heaven. And there's only one hope, and His name is Jesus. Amen. He's the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. There is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. Acts 4, 12. And then I saw, I see this, um, number one, the antagonist, but now I want you to see the absurdity. Look at verse 19. These men called him master. He says, master, beware of people that try to flatter you. It says, master, Moses wrote unto us, if a man's brother die, leave his wife behind him and leave no children, that his brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. And that's found in Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10. They were exactly right. That was the custom of the day. That's not the custom uh, today. Aren't y'all glad? Amen. Come on, aren't y'all glad? Especially we've got an ugly sister-in-law. Say amen. Come on. But look at this. It says in verse 19, Master, Moses wrote unto us, if a man, I shouldn't have said that. If a man's brother die and leave his wife behind him and leave no children, that his brother should take his wife and raise up. Now there were seven brethren. So here's a hypothetical, hypothetical argument. Don't ever answer hypothetical arguments. It just doesn't pay. And Jesus went ahead and rebuked them 
And he said, hey, listen, you call me master, which means teacher. You flatter me, but you don't believe a thing that I said. And you don't believe who I am. And folks, these men appealed to Moses, the great lawgiver, the spokesman for God. The Sadducees knew the Lord respected Moses in the Scripture. They thought they had him. And so they approached him with the belief uh, that this was a problem in the Word of God and that there was no resurrection. Folks, the whole puzzle that they constructed, the whole hypothetical seven husbands, one wife in heaven, it was all to embarrass him in front of the people who had gathered in the temple and to get him a few days before on this leveret marriage, as it's called. And so if a man died with no living children, the next of kin would marry his widow and raise up a child in the name of the deceased. The law was, uh, was necessary to bring Judah and Tamar together to, in the line of Jesus, Genesis 38. It ensured Jesus would be born of the tribe of Judah. It was made possible the marriage of Ruth and Boaz, Ruth chapter 4, which further ensured that Jesus would be born of the tribe of Judah. So it was a very important law in the nation of Israel. It guaranteed that a family's inheritance would stay in the family. And based on the, law, the Sad, uh, on the law, the Sadducees came to Jesus with this tale, this puzzle, this hypothetical situation to try to embarrass him, to try to mock him. They thought Jesus was trapped about marriage and having babies. Thought they'd trap Jesus. But I want to get right to the crux of the message. I want you to see the answer. The answer is found in verse 24 through 27. We'll preach here just a few minutes. It says, And Jesus answered and said to them, Look at your Bible now. Now we're all palm readers. Praise God, we're Bible readers. He said, And Jesus answered and said to them, Do ye not therefore err? Because ye know not the Scriptures, neither the power of God. What a Sunday school lesson. For when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor give in marriage, but as the angels which are in heaven. And as touching the dead, they rise. Have you not read in the book of Moses? Now he's getting back to their territory. How in the, in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living. Therefore do, it says, and ye therefore do greatly err. So Jesus puts them into place. And folks, in doing that, he gives us some important answers about eternity. I don't know about you, but you ought to realize every being that's ever born is eternal. His soul's either going to live in hell or heaven. We're eternal by nature. The only trouble is a lot of times we don't think about eternity. We don't live for eternity. We live like eat, drink, and be merry, Moses, uh, Noah's day. We, we sometimes don't even think about heaven. We don't live like heaven. We just think it's the day's the day, and let's get all the gusto we can. It's a humanistic philosophy. It's a devilish philosophy. It's a selfish philosophy. And Jesus answers some questions to get us excited about eternity. I like eternity. I think about eternity. Uh, I, I'm getting older every year. I think about eternity. Some of y'all are getting older every year. Think about eternity. I was talking to Brother Howard yesterday. I thought, my goodness, what a year you've been through. 
Matter of fact, uh, after I went down to the hospital Wednesday night, uh, Amy said, you know, my daddy was never sick. And now he's making up for lost time. I tell you, what's next, preacher? I said, I don't know. But I know one thing, God will give daddy grace. Let's pray and ask God to help him get through the surgery. And folks, I want to tell you something. Uh, they were, number one, ignorant of the Word of God. If they're just taking time to read the whole Word, the whole law, the whole Old Testament that they had, they wouldn't have been confused about the resurrection. Matter of, the, matter of fact, there's a truth of the resurrection printed all over the New Te Old Testament. Look at Job chapter 19. Job chapter 19. If you can't find Job, just listen real quick, quickly. I have a hard time finding Job. One old mountaineer says it's a job to find Job. But anyway, look at, look at chapter 19 of Job. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, I believe. So you can find Psalms, you just go back. Look at verse 19, chapter 19, verse 25. If they'd only read this. This is the oldest book in the Bible, by the way. Look at verse 25. It says, for I know that my Redeemer liveth. <laughs> Amen. Hey, folks, this is uh, 1,520 years before Jesus was born. Job is getting a revelation about the resurrection and about eternal life. If that don't make a Baptist smile, nothing will. We got the Word of God on it. And it says, And I know my Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand at the latter days upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroyed this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Woo! Look at verse 27. Whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Folks, here's the resurrection. Isaiah 26, verse 19. Write it down. I ain't got time to go there. I'm the only thing between you and lunch. But then look at Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. Some of y'all wouldn't smile if I said something funny. But anyway, Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. It's about the resurrection. Amen. And folks, I want you to know they were ignorant of God's power. They were ignorant of God's Word, but they were ignorant of God's power. These men believed that God created the universe out of nothing, believed that He formed Adam and Eve out of the dust, but they did not believe that God had the power to raise the dead. Folks, He has the power. Say amen. He is the power. He is God. He is life. And folks, I want to tell you something. Uh, the God we serve is an all-powerful God. That gives me hope. Amen. Bible says in Ephesians 3.20, we can do, he'll do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think. Exceedingly and abundantly. What is the power that is in, the Bible says that is in us uh, on down in uh, chapter 1 of Ephesians. It's the power of the resurrection, the Bible said. It's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Don't say you can't, you can't serve God, you can't overcome your sin. Say you won't. Because you can, because He can. Greater is He that is in you than He's in the world. I'm feeling better now. I'm telling you, friend, we need to have faith in an omnipotent God. It's the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. We need to believe there is a God and that He's not some wimpy little God sitting up on the throne of heaven, but He's a God that's almighty. He's a God that's all-powerful. He's a God that's all-knowing. He's God. And there's nobody like Him. Say amen. He is the Redeemer. He's coming soon. And you need to get ready. Ready or not, here He comes. And folks, I want to tell you, the Sadducees were sad, you see. Because they didn't believe nothing. I mean, they believed the first five books, but they didn't really believe what the first five books were about. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God sustained. In the beginning, Jesus, God is coming back. 
And folks, now Jesus gets to the heart of the puzzle. And listen, look at, look at verse 25. He, he refers to the nature of heavenly relationships. The nature of it. He says, For when they shall rise from the dead, they shall neither marry nor be given in marriage, but as the angels which are in heaven. Now, we're not going to have wings flapping around when we don't know each other. We're not going to be just the force be with you in some spirit. You're going to be known as you know. Somebody asked D.L. Moody, he says, are we going to know each other in heaven? He looked at him and said, hey, listen, don't you think we'll have more sense up there than we do down here? Amen. He had a third grade education, but he had some wisdom. Say amen. He said, sure, we're going to know each other. But it's going to be in a deeper way. It's not going to be let's pick teams or pick wives. It's going to be we're all together. Amen. You're going to love everybody up there. Amen. You're going to love people that are not unloving. You're going to love people that never loved you. But you're going to be having a heavenly uh, joy and a heavenly peace. And folks, listen, while relationship and marriage is wonderful, can somebody say amen? You husbands, you missed your chance. You better say amen. And it's divinely ordained of God. But it's absolutely an earthly institution. Amen. We have marriage to multiply godly heritage. You will not have births in heaven because you're not going to have deaths in heaven. It's to mutually complete each other. You won't need somebody else completing you up in heaven. I need it uh, down here, amen. I need my wife. I was thinking about how patient she was uh, the other day uh, when I come in exhausted from overdoing it. And she just said, when are you going to learn? Cut those little eyes at me and said, I told you you would, you would overdo it. I said, I didn't overdo it. I said, could you help me get my shoes off? But anyway, uh, <laughs> don't you hate to admit you can't do everything like you used to do? I mean, I had visions of jacking the ball right over the left field fence yesterday, and I said, I couldn't even make it to the game. <laughs> Amen. I just looked at the pictures and got tired. But anyway, Jesus referred to this heavenly relationship that's deeper than marriage. But marriage is so great here. It mutually completes each other. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It's companionship. It's a fulfillment of legitimate sexual needs. 1 Corinthians 7, 2. That's why it's so illegitimate to have sexual relationship out of marriage. That's why it's so wicked to shack. Can I say that, amen? I think I've pastored long enough to go ahead and preach against sin. Amen. Oh, people think it's all accepted, and this is the you know, trial and error time, and let's have prenups and all this. Stuff. I'm going to tell you something, friend. What you need is to save yourself to marriage and present yourself as an unused gift to your mate. Amen. Come on. I don't think we have much of that preached much today. But you ought to save yourself for marriage. But I want to tell you something, friend. There won't be no sexual needs up in heaven. And then the, the Bible tells us we're, 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 um, we're married to mirror His image. Male and female become one. Let us create man in our image, male and female. And we, we represent God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit uh, in our marriage relationship. But there's not going to be that in heaven because we're going to be perfect in our relating to His image. And then we need to model His love in marriage. Husbands, love your wife even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Wives, submit yourselves unto uh, your husbands even as the church submits to God. And folks, that's a beautiful relationship of modeling the love of God to a lost and dying world. I feel sorry for any couple that's married without Jesus. 
without His Word and without His Spirit. I mean, friend, I'm going to tell you something. You might think you're happily married, but there is no way without Jesus. If you don't put God first, it's a joke how much you'll manipulate each other, get fed up, and walk out on Him. Sin will take you down. But I want to tell you something. We have one inside of us that can love our mates like Jesus loves us. I think marriage is very important. I think it's very important because, last but not least, it magnifies His name. It says He might present a glorious church. And folks, I want to tell you something. It's not about you. It's about Him when you get married. And it's not about him, you and her when you are married. It's about glorifying God as you're married. But in heaven, you're not going to need that. You're going to have all the glory and all the praise in yourself because you're going to have a heavenly praiser. You're going to have a heavenly energy. You're going to have a heavenly joy. Some of y'all are struggling just to get through this message. And I know you was up too late last night. Some of you worked and thank God you're here. But I want to tell you something. In heaven, it's going to be pure worship. It says we'll be like angels. But we'll be more than angels. We'll not lose our identity. And folks, I want to tell you something. Uh, there'll be a deathless, sexless, sinless, glorified, eternal body that we'll have. And folks, unlike the angels, we will be like Jesus. 1 John 3, 2 says uh, that we're going to be like Him. When He shall appear, we shall be like Him. And so, folks, that is our goal, as Brother Randy's already said before he's saying, is to glorify God and be like Him. But we'll never be totally like Him and never satisfied. Uh, Psalm 17, the last verse says, I'll, I'll be satisfied when I wake in His likeness. And so, folks, we are more than just a bunch of angels flapping around in heaven with our wings and our halo crooked. We're going to be like Jesus. There's going to be perfect worship, perfect peace, perfect joy, Perfect harmony. Nobody's going to be fussing and fighting. Nobody's going to be uh, not speaking to their husband this morning because it's just you're just not going to care about your husband. You're going to care about Jesus. Now, some of y'all say, "Well, I don't want to go to heaven." Then don't say that. She ain't that good. He ain't that good. I mean, he's close to it. Say amen. But I'll tell you this, friend: heaven's going to be better than all that. And I'll just say this: if heaven's better than having a godly mate, it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be beautiful. I can't wait, can you? But I believe we'll know our husband. I believe we'll know our wife. I don't, I don't think I'll just go down and say, I wonder if that's Connie or not. Amen. Some angel just flew by. No, I'm going to know her. And we'll be closer than we've ever been before. Say amen. And it's exciting. But the Sadducees came to Jesus talking about Moses. And Jesus referred to the reality of the resurrection in closing. And I'll close with this, going back to Moses. So if you try, to trip, you try to trip up the Lord, He knows how to get back at you. And He said this, And as touching the dead, that they rise, have we not read in the book of Moses? So He knew their doctrine. He knew their hang-up. He said, How in the bush God spake unto Him, saying, I am, that ought to make a Presbyterian shout, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now folks, listen, Jesus is referring to the reality of resurrection in Moses. He said, I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. 
He wasn't referring to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as dead men, but as men that were alive, because they were alive. In fact, they were more alive than they've ever been before. They were living in a world that was greater than any world they've ever seen. They were in heaven. And folks, Jesus reminded these men that, verse 27, He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. So God referred to those, these three men in present tense. And He always referred to Himself, not in past tense. He said, I am. I am the God of these men. Because they are more alive today than they've ever been. And I want to tell you something, friend. When you die and go to heaven, you're going to be more alive than you've ever been before. And this helps us in our grief process, amen. We shouldn't grieve forever. I can't imagine being without Miss Connie. But I want to tell you this, friend. I'll know when she dies, and I'll probably go first. She's in a far better place. And she is living more than she's ever lived, and I'm living more than I've ever lived. And folks, that is comfort. That's comfort. Folks, listen, I don't know how couples get through being separated by death when they know one of them's lost. I can't imagine sitting by a graveside saying, well, I wonder if my husband was saved. You better not wonder. You, better, you just better know so, amen? And thank God you can know so because of the fruit. And the Bible says exactly in Matthew, or John chapter 5, verse 24, the description of being saved. It's passing. Look at it. I don't even want to quote it. I want you to read it. John 5, 24. Turn in your Bibles, please. Turn in your Bibles. We don't want to just say God has said. We want to look at it. John chapter 5, verse 24. It says, verily, verily. You know what that means? Truly, truly, amen. Aren't you glad we got a true book? 1,500 years, 44 different authors, 66 different, uh, 66 different books. Hundreds and hundreds of years are written over and not one contradiction. And every prophecy come true exactly. Look at uh, John 5, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you. That's enough right there. He that heareth my word and believeth on him, not about him, on him, that sent me hath everlasting life. Would you underline that? Hath everlasting life. Highlight it if you got a highlighter. Hath everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation. That means you can't lose it. Somebody says, well, I think you can lose it. Well, he said, shall not come into condemnation. You're truly saved, you're saved. But look at this. But it's passed from death unto life. Amen. I mean, folks, you have a, a spiritual resurrection the moment you get saved. You pass from death and life. Why? Because Ephesians 2, 1 says you're dead in your sins and trespasses. Dead men can't work enough to get saved. Dead men can't climb religious ladders to be saved. Dead men just need to fall under the touch of the resurrected Savior and let Him bring you to life, quicken you by His Spirit. And then when a person receives Jesus Christ, he has everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. And then look at chapter 5, verse 29. I hope you had not changed there. It says, And they shall come forth, they shall have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. There's two resurrections. There's a resurrection at the rapture for the for the saved. And then we have the judgment seat of Christ. And then there's a resurrection of the damnation. Those are the, those in hell that's brought up 
to face the great white throne judgment, they're cast back into the uh, uh, everlasting pit of hell. It's like jail waiting for penitentiary. It's both hell. And folks, listen, the Bible says that the, everybody who dies is going to experience a resurrection. And everybody that dies is going to have everlasting life and they're going to have to face God at judgment. The judgment at the rapture or the judgment at the great white throne judgment. And then there's two lines. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. 1 John 5, 12. So let me close. Some of you said I wish you would. Much of nature of our existence in heaven will remain a mystery. I don't think we can figure out heaven. I don't believe we can even describe heaven. We can read the book of Revelation, get all enamored by the uh, streets of gold and the walls of jasper. But there's some things that you just don't know about heaven. But I know there's some things that this teaches us about heaven. Questions about eternity. Number one, you will still be known as you are known in heaven. People will know you. You will retain your individuality in heaven. You simply, uh, you'll simply be better and perfected and glorified in your relationships. There'll be no marriage in heaven, but love will be perfect in heaven. And we will one day fully and perfectly, without jealousy, believe and remember our earthly relationships in heaven. Folks, last but not least, there'll be no more death in heaven. I want to tell you something. I've preached a lot of funerals since I've been in Dalton 42 years. A lot of your relatives, a lot of your parents, a lot of your children, a lot of your mates. And I want to tell you something, friend. Thank God nobody's going to call on me for a funeral. I was talking to Brother Joe Arthur Thursday morning. He says, you know something? I ought to, get, I ought to go into the funeral circuit. I preached Brother Stennett's, I preached Brother Henson's, I'm preaching all these funerals. I said, there's a lot of people dying our age, Brother Wayne. That was encouraging, wasn't it? And I said, I know it, Brother Joe, you're getting older. But I want to tell you something, friend. The Bible says God will wipe away all the tears. Revelation 21.4, there'll be no more pain, no more death, for the former things have passed away. I'm glad there'll be no cancer in heaven. Seems like everybody's getting it. I'm glad there'll be no more pain. I believe, I'm glad there'll be no more opiate addiction in heaven. I'm glad there'll be no more divorce in heaven. That hurts, don't it? I'm glad there'll be no more heartache. I'm glad there'll be no more Satan, no more sin, and no more selfishness in heaven. Woe will be outlawed. Discouragement will be outlawed. Folks, it's going to be one happy place. And we're going to fit right in our place. And we're going to enjoy our place. Because most important of all, we will be like Jesus. So you can argue all you want to, and you can take verses out of context if you want to, you Sadducees. But Jesus said, there is an eternity. And it will be glorious. And you will be satisfied when you awake in His likeness. How many know for sure that you're going to heaven? Say amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture. When I first read it, I said, oh my. But thank you, dear God, for opening the Word of God to us and teaching us something about heaven. Questions about eternity. Thank you. Lord, we still got many questions. 
How old will we be? What's our glorified body going to be like? But Lord, I'll tell you this. Whatever it's going to be like, it's going to be like nothing down here. And it's going to be a whole lot better than any wonderful time or place that we've ever been to. It's going to be heaven. And most important of all, it's going to be heaven because you're there. And all the saints of God are there. And our loved ones are there. We'll get to see Daddy and Mama again. We'll get to see our loved ones again. But most important of all, Lord, we'll see you. And that'll be enough. So Lord, help us to not live for these 70, 80, 90 years. So soon it will pass. I'm finding that out to be true in my life. So soon it's passed. I'm not a young preacher anymore. I'm not the youngest preacher in Dalton anymore like I used to be. But Lord, I thank you for the journey. And I thank you, dear God, that it's been a pilgrimage to heaven. And that one day, it's all going to be fulfilled when we see you face to face. Lord, I want to stay here long as I can till you want me to stay. But Lord, when I leave this earth, oh, it's going to be glorious. Lord, I thank you, dear God, for the saints of God that have lived for eternity on this earth. Think about Brother Stennett Ballou and what a blessing he has been to our church and how the camp meeting is going to miss him so desperately next week. But he's with his Savior that he preached all over this nation about. He's with his Lord. His faith is now sight. Dear God, what a reward to be with you. 